What's up? Welcome back. This is The Change Law. Thank you for tuning in. If you're new to the pod, head to changelaw.fm for all the ways to subscribe. If you're a longtime listener, check out our membership at changelaw.com slash plus plus. Directly support us, make the ads disappear, and get access to bonus content on our shows. By the way, on this episode, our plus plus subscribers are getting an extra 12 minutes. Jared saved the elephant in the room question just for our plus plus subscribers. And today we're talking with Deep Thesey Already, the test maintainer and engineer at Planet Scale. Of course, we're talking about all things Vitesse. We cover its origin inside YouTube, how Vitesse handles sharding, how it scales, when you should begin using it, how it fits into cloud native infra, and of course, that extra 12 minutes of runtime for our Plus Plus subscribers. Big thanks to our friends and partners at Fastly for keeping our pods super fast all around the world. Check them out at Fastly.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Influx Data, the makers of InfluxDB. In addition to their belief in building their business around permissively licensed open source and meeting developers where they are, they believe easy things should be easy. And that extends to how you add monitoring to your application. I'm here with Wojciech John, the lead maintainer of Telegraph Operator for Influx Data. Wojciech, help me understand what you mean by making monitoring applications easy. Our goal at Influx Data is to make it easy to get, gather data and metrics around your application. Specifically for Kubernetes workloads uh, where the standard is Prometheus, we've created a Telegraph Operator, which is an open source project around Telegraph, uh, which is another op- open source project that makes it easy to gather both Prometheus matrix as, as well as other metrics such as Redis, PostgreSQL, MySQL, any other uh, commonly used applications and send it wherever you want. So it could be obviously in FluxDB Cloud, which we would be happy to handle for you, but it could be sent to any other location like Prometheus Server, Kafka, any other of the supported plugins that we have. And Telegraph itself provides around 300 different plugins. So there's a lot of different inputs that we can handle, so data that we could scrape out of the box, different outputs, meaning that you can send it to multiple different tools. There's also processing plugins, such as aggregating data on on the edge so you don't send as much data. There's a lot of possibilities that Telegraph Operator could be used to get your data where you are today, so with Prometheus metrics, but you can also use it for different types of data. You can also do more processing at the edge and you can send your data wherever you want to. Wojciech, I love it. Thank you so much. Easy things should be easy. Listeners, Influx Data is the time series data platform where you can build IoT, analytics, and cloud applications, anything you want on top of open source. They're built on open source. They love us. You should check them out. Check them out at influxdata.com slash changelog. Again, influxdata.com slash changelog. Thank you for joining the show. Been a fan of Vitesse, mainly by way of Planet Scale. Like I, you know, I'm not that deep and steeped in the horizontal scaling of MySQL myself personally, but having had a conversation with Sam Lambert on Founders Talk, really gained a lot of respect for his leadership, his uh, his new role as CEO there at Planet Scale, and really just this story of Vitesse and how you know it, it's really just like doing tons of things for like YouTube and 
all that stuff to really make scaling the MySQL database truly possible. So welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. Thank you. What's the best place to begin when talking about Vitesse? Should we explain the tech itself? Like, where should we begin the story of Vitesse? I know it began in YouTube back in 2010, but what's a good sweet spot for you? We should start with the history, why Vitesse came into being, and then how people outside of YouTube saw Vitesse and why it got adoption outside of YouTube. So if we go back to the beginning, Vitesse was started at YouTube, as you already know, and that was back in 2010. By the way, as an aside, YouTube has migrated off Vitesse, so they are no longer uh, the largest user of Vitesse or or even a user of Vitesse anymore. But Vitesse did start at YouTube. And the reason Vitesse even came into being was because YouTube was growing really fast and they were running their video metadata store, not the actual video content, but just the titles, descriptions, comments, that sort of thing associated with videos on multiple MySQL instances already. So they weren't on a single MySQL instance. They were... Uh, managing about eight MySQL instances, and they were having regular outages. So the people who started Vitesse, which includes Sugu, who's still working on Vitesse at PlanetScale, and some others who are still at Google slash, slash YouTube or have left Google and moved on to other things. So the team that started Vitesse, the problem they were trying to solve was this system keeps going down. It keeps having outages. How do we not have these outages? So uh, they sat down and made a, a big list of all the outages they had experienced in some previous time horizon, whether it was a year or two years or whatever it was. And when they looked at that list and thought about how do we solve this, the only answer they could come up with was we need to write a new piece of software to solve this because there is no existing way to solve this. So that's how Vitas started. And it started with solving that specific problem of we we are having database outages. How do we solve that? And they did it by putting a layer in front of the MySQLs, which will do connection pooling, which will put limits on the number of results returned by a query. A query might return 100,000 rows. No one's ever going to look at 100,000 rows. So why, right? And consolidating queries. So you may have thousands of clients trying to read the same row. You don't actually have to fetch that row thousands of times from the database. You can fetch it once and serve it to thousands of clients. So these were the sorts of things that were initially built as Vitesse at YouTube. And then over time, Sharding an existing database became functionality that was needed and built into Vitesse. Mm. But for about the first five years of the life of Vitesse, YouTube was the only user. Even though Vitesse was open sourced in 2012, it was open sourced very early on in the journey to today. But for the first five years, YouTube was the only user. But at that point, there were other companies that... Uh, faced similar scaling challenges and discovered that there was something called Vitesse, which was open source. And the way they found out about it is because Sugu and a couple of other people used to go and give talks. They would give interviews to journalists who would write about it. So this knowledge was out in the public domain. And around 2015, some other companies 
which also had scaling problems, started looking at Vitus, trying it out, and then started going into production. So when it comes to horizontal scaling, it seems like there's the first step that many companies take, which is like, let's separate our reads from our writes, and we can have a bunch of read databases and then a primary or some sort of write or a set of writers. And then that's like one way to get going at a small scale. You said they were already on maybe eight databases at the time. They had scaled some already. And then sharding is another strategy, which seems to come maybe at the same time or later. Can you describe sharding just for so we're all on the same page? And then we'll see how it fits into Vitesse's story as well. But just like the concept of sharding, how it works generally, and maybe some of the challenges that it adds. So the idea of sharding is that you have a whole set of data and then you want to break it up into pieces and store them and handle them separately. So a very simple example would be, let's say you go to a conference and you are trying to check in and they have these different counters or booths with, if your last name starts from A to M, you go here. If it starts with N to Z, you go here. So that's a very simple example of sharding your uh, data set. So in terms of what it means for Vitesse, if we take any application that is storing data, let's say you have a set of people, a user's table, right? What you are trying to do is to break it up and store it in different individual databases, but present an illusion to any application that is trying to access the data as if it is a single database. Mm. So that's sort of the essence of uh, how you would horizontally scale something like MySQL without leaking the details of how it's actually being stored at the backend. Right. So a naive implementation of sharding would be at your application layer. So as you go to your users table, every time in your application that you're going to access some users, it would have to maybe like do a lookup on the first letter of their last name and say, okay, this one starts with S. And so I'm going to go to this database that has the S's in it. And that, that gets, that, that works, right? But it, at the application layer, it gets very complicated to be doing that all the time. Sometimes you forget how it works or a new engineer, et cetera. And so you can do that without Vitesse. People do it all the time, build it into your application to shard. But what Vitesse provides is this middle layer that hides that complexity underneath it or tucks it away. So your application code can remain blissfully ignorant of that sharding strategy. I assume you could even change strategies or deploy multiple strategies. And your code that your developers are writing does not have to get spaghettied around, right? It doesn't have to have all those concerns the whole time. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the, the strategy you first described where the application code itself figures out which shard to address its queries to, mm -hmm. that's called manual sharding, or you can call it custom sharding in some ways. Sure. But, but uh, like you said, the application has to know and nothing is transparent. What if you initially had two shards and you named them one and two and they've grown so big that you want to split them further. Now, what do you do in the application? So all of that logic of how the data is stored has to now be spread through every component that needs to know it, including the application code. So that's the downside of the manual sharding approach. It's very high maintenance. But in YouTube's particular case, they didn't even shard at first. They they simply, the test started off as like this 
connection pooling thing first. Right, right. right. And so they, that that took them a long ways, right? That's like that's provides some scale. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what you get with connection pooling is that instead of every request keeping a connection open to the backend MySQL, whether or not there's traffic flowing on it, because most connections have intermittent traffic. It's not like data is flowing back and forth all the time. If I'm on the YouTube website and I click on a video, they have to show me uh, the metadata for the video and then I'm going to watch the video. So for, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 minutes, I may not need to go back to the database at all, just to to give a very crude example, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, what connection pooling gets you is instead of thousands of connections to the backend database, you can say, I only need a handful of connections, whether that's 20 or 50 or 100 for a specific application that is going against the backend database. But on the front end, you can still serve tens of thousands of concurrent users because there is this natural property to user behavior that database requests are always intermittent. They are not continuous. Mm. So you're fighting against those peak moments. You have to guard against the peaks. Yes, yes. But actually, they're almost, they're almost the only thing that matters is you have to have the capacity at the peaks because the valleys are just going to be there. So one of the things you can do by having a connection pool is that you can convert load into latency. So if you can serve 10,000 users without any noticeable lag and suddenly you get 100,000, if you can make them wait, then maybe they will get a response after two seconds instead of 10 milliseconds or 20 milliseconds. But you get the ability to handle that load just by delaying some of that work. Mm. Obviously, if you have a sustained peak, if your traffic doubled overnight and it stays double, then you have to start provisioning more capacity at the back end. Mm -hmm. But transient peaks you can handle with a connection pooling strategy. Which is nice because on the web, transient peaks are normal and <laughs> overnight double your capacity is abnormal, right? Like you don't expect that maybe when the COVID lockdowns hit, some many companies found themselves suddenly having twice as much traffic at a sustained clip. But other times it's like maybe an, an Instagram influencer sends a bunch of traffic your way, but they, they're very fickle and they leave quickly, right? <laughs> okay, so Vitesse starts as this connection pooler inside of YouTube. It, then it adds sharding, which is, I think, a huge deal and probably highly complicated to implement. And then also, I assume, requires a lot of like setup and definitions of like their strategies there. In terms of just the the features of Vitesse over the years to now, maybe like the flagships, like those are some things. What are some other scaling features that it provides or is that, are those the two big ones that Vitesse gives you? The, the other feature I want to talk about is schema changes. So prior to Vitesse providing integrated schema changes, people were using all kinds of tools to manage schema changes to large MySQL deployments. Because you, you can't just, on a production database, which is of any significant size, you can't just directly execute schema changes because the effect of those is unknown. How many rows might be affected, whether a table will get locked up and that translates to application downtime. These are all the sorts of problems that people running MySQL in production faced, and then they uh, built tools to work around these problems. 
So at GitHub, they built a tool called GitHub Online Schema Tool. And Percona built something called PTOSC. So all of these were meant to work around how schema changes worked in MySQL, especially in older versions, which was not very well. Not only are schema changes not transactional, so you can't roll them back, uh, but their effect on database performance was unpredictable. Mm. So in Vitess, in about 2019, we actually started integrating Ghost and PT online schema change. And then we also built our own Vitess native way of doing schema changes on MySQL in a safe manner. And the foundation for this online schema change technology or Vitus native online schema change technology is the same foundation that underlies sharding. And that's something we call vReplication. So the way sharding evolved, when it was first built, you had to add a column to every table that you wanted to shard and store a value in that and use that value to define which shard that row would go to. But over time, that became transparent in the sense that you no longer added to need an extra column to a table. You could take an existing column in a table that you're trying to shard and define a function on it and use that function to define how uh, the table is going to be sharded. So I think starting in about 2018, we built this uh, vReplication technology, which now underlies sharding. So there was a previous generation of sharding code, which still exists, but it's called legacy and we will phase it out. And there is the new generation of the sharding code. And what vReplication does is it leverages MySQL's bin log replication. So in MySQL, when you have a primary replica configuration, there are something called binary logs, which the primary that is taking the writes will write out Mm -hmm. and replicas will subscribe to those logs and they will receive those logs from uh, the primary and then they'll apply them to their own databases and that's how replication works. So what Vitesse can do is it can subscribe to those binary logs and filter them. So by filtering them, you're saying, okay, maybe I'm in a resharding operation. So I have this one database. I want to break it into two. Mm -hmm. I can look at the bin logs and say, This change should go to this new shard. This other change should go to the other shard. Mm. And that enables many different types of workflows. So you may want to do what we used to call vertical sharding, where you want to take a whole table and move it to a different database. Or you may want to do horizontal sharding, where you have a big table and you want to break it into multiple shards. Or... Uh, you may just want to do something like a materialized view. So there is a table with data. You are interested in a subset of the data for some particular application. And maybe you also want to do some aggregations on that. Maybe you just want a count or a sum of some column, number of orders or total value of orders, right? Mm-hmm. So materialization is something you can do with vReplication. So this technology we built that can look at MySQL's binary logs and process them in different ways for different applications eventually became the foundation for also doing schema changes in a very robust way. That sounds super slick. How long did it take to come to that implementation? You said 2019 was when these 
these things took hold, this V replicant? Most of the V replication code in its initial incarnation was written by Sugu. And I think it took him about a, a year to do that. After that, we've had more people working on it. And I would say it took another year for it to get to the point where it was stable and uh, Vitus users were using these vReplication-based workflows to do sharding on their production systems. And it was at that point that we started building the online schema change mm. functionality on top of it. I just find it fascinating that a tool that began nine years prior, I mean, assuming it's around 2019, like the the aha moment or the idea of like, hey, let's take these binary logs and provide this filtering mechanism and that will be how we shard. But then also, by the way, this is a really great way of doing schema changes. And then a year of effort by one person, or I'm sure there's other people involved along the way, like lots of effort to roll that out, to develop it and then to test it and to actually integrate it. Now it's being used in massive scale. It's just amazing to me that sometimes it takes that long of doing it differently or of just toiling or working on other things and then being like, oh, here's a much better way of doing it that actually solves two problems at once. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. So the, the amazing thing about vReplication is that it was originally created to do sharding mm -hmm. at a table level or at a database level, right? But once it came out, and this is something we see uh, every once in a while with Vitus. We may develop something for a particular use case, but people will start using it for other use cases because you can never think of all the use cases. Right. So vReplication, for example, we have someone who's using it to create a development copy of their production database that developers can have access to with all the PII redacted. So they select a subset of the columns from the production database tables so that there's no user information, there's no addresses, credit cards, what have you. And developers can that then use that redacted database for testing out new features. And they don't have to access the production database directly. Mm, super cool. You've mentioned Sugu a couple of times now. Can you kind of just share who this infamous slash famous person <laughs> is behind the scenes who's totally away, as Jared mentioned, and as you've you mentioned, DT, can you, can you kind of impart to our, our listeners who that person is? Sure. So Sugu was at YouTube when Vitus was created. So he was one of the co-creators of Vitus. He was instrumental in open sourcing it. So he says that the reason they open sourced it is because they never wanted to reinvent it. And you know how things are these days. No one stays at the same company forever. So they were looking forward to the day when they would eventually leave YouTube and might have to solve database scaling problems elsewhere. So he was instrumental in open sourcing Vitus to start with in 2012. He came up with the name Vitus. The project at YouTube was called Voltron. But when they open sourced it, they had to change the name because Voltron is copyrighted by whoever owns that character. For sure. Yeah. 1980s nostalgia, for <laughs> sure. And uh, they had written code where... Uh, Components had names like VT something. There were directories in the code with VT in them. So they were like, okay, we have to find a name that still can be contracted to VT. And Sugu happens to be someone who's fluent in French. So he took the word Vitesse from French. It's spelled with an E at the end and it means fast. And then he took the E out and 
called it Vitus without the E. Yeah. So Sugu was an engineer at YouTube. He was instrumental in creating Vitus. And eventually there came a time when Vitus was a technology, not product. So in that sense, it it's not it wasn't a revenue generating project for uh, YouTube. And there there was probably not a lot of appetite to invest into it. At the same time, there were outside users, open users who were using the open source version of Vitus, and they needed support. So how do you deal with this, right? So it was at that point that Sugu went and talked to some of the people in the Kubernetes community who had started the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And they recommended that Vitess should be donated to CNCF. And Google was on board with that. Google, in from what I know, from what I have seen, is extremely open source friendly. They are a part of CNCF. They are a major sponsor to many, many uh, open source projects and conferences and communities. So they were on board with that. And Sugu saw the project with us through its donation or adoption to CNCF. And at that point, he left Google and he co-founded PlanetScale with Jitain, who was also a former YouTuber. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Fire Hydrant. Fire Hydrant is the reliability platform for every developer. Incidents impact everyone, not just SREs. Fire Hydrant gives teams the tools to maintain service catalogs, respond to incidents, communicate through status pages, and learn with retrospectives. What would normally be manual, error-prone tasks across the entire spectrum of responding to an incident, this can all be automated in every way with Fire Hydrant. Fire Hydrant gives you incident tooling to manage incidents of any type with any severity with consistency. You can declare and mitigate incidents all inside Slack. Service catalogs allow service owners to improve operational maturity and document all your deploys in your service catalog. Incident analytics like extract meaningful insights about your reliability over any facet of your incident or the people who respond to them. And at the heart of it all, incident run books, they let you create custom automation rules to convert manual tasks into automated, reliable, repeatable sequences that run when you want. Create Slack channels, Jira tickets, Zoom bridges instantly after declaring an incident. Now your processes can be consistent and automatic. Try Fire Hydrant free for 14 days. Get access to every feature, no credit card required. Get started at firehydrant.io. Again, firehydrant.io. Vitesse has had a long journey inside and now outside of YouTube. At a certain point, you came along and got attached to the project. Can you tell us your journey, maybe even in your career, and then how it got attached to Vitesse along the way? So uh, I started working with databases back in, I would say, 2000. I did not study databases at all as part of my formal education. But I had to start working with them because that was the way the world was going. I was working at a company that built supply chain software. And uh, specifically, we were building software for retailers. And retailers have a lot of data. And they store them in databases. So whatever software we built had to work with databases. 
and these were those were the days when we still used to ship CDs to customers and we were trying to build this large scale supply chain planning system for retailers and it had to work with oracle it had to work with db2 at some point we thought that it would need to work with informix but slowly we realized that no one actually was using informix anymore at that point so i had to learn how to write code that worked against databases all of the data is going to be stored in the database you're going to fetch some of it into memory do something with it write the results back into the database mm-hmm. so along the way i learned how to write sql i ended up writing i didn't write the full parser but i borrowed a sql parser that somebody else had written and i was using it to understand sql that was part of our application and emit the two variants oracle and db2 because we did not want to maintain uh, two versions of queries and there were queries that had to be written differently for the two different databases time went on i i continued working with oracle and i did that for about 15 years hmm. i i switched jobs a couple of times but everywhere i went the database of choice was oracle so i was working with oracle databases and i learned how to write sql i i learned how to tune queries and how to manage schemas there were always dbas but there was always uh, stuff you had to do as an application developer at the database level as well and we were writing database access objects database access layers all all those kinds of things Mm-hmm. Then in 2018 I had I was coming off of like a one year hiatus from work. I had taken time off for personal reasons, family reasons. So I was unemployed and I was looking to get back into a job. And I was even debating whether I wanted to uh, keep doing software engineering. I had been a software engineer, a tech lead, an engineering manager in previous gigs. or whether i wanted to do product management because i had done a little bit of product management as well before so i had sort of just started looking around what would i want to do uh, what sort of companies do i want to apply to and uh, <laughs> coincidentally my husband was actually working at youtube at that time mm. and this was after sugu and jitain had already started planet scale and youtube was already on its way to migrating off vitus they had started their migration project so my husband was at youtube and he heard about the migration project off vitus so he looked up vitus and he happened to go look at sugu's linkedin page and then linkedin showed him jitain's linkedin page and so he looked at it and he was done So the next time Jitain logged into LinkedIn, LinkedIn showed him someone from YouTube has viewed your profile. Okay. So he looked at the plot thickens. Yeah. So he looked at <laughs> Venkat's LinkedIn profile and he was like, "Oh, maybe this will be a good hire for Planet Scale. We should talk to this guy." Uh, so they, <laughs> so they met, they talked, and my husband was not ready to leave Google at that time, but he said, "Oh, by the way, my wife is looking for a job." So that's how I ended up interviewing with Planet Scale and they ended up making me an offer. That's awesome. Before I spoke to them I was actually not looking at startups. I felt that in terms of workload, career progression, it I would actually be much better off working for a big company because 
tech startups, Silicon Valley startups have a reputation of requiring a lot of hours. And I did not want to work a lot of hours. I did not want to work nights and weekends, right? But after I talked to the people at Planet Scale, I met Sugu. He gave me a, a very early demo of vReplication. It was just a demo. The code had not been written yet. And I was just blown away by what Vitus was and what Vitus could do. And I was like, I must work on this because this is just so cool, right? Mm -hmm. So I ended up accepting the offer from Planet Scale and I went to work at Planet Scale. And for the first couple of months, I actually worked on the database as a service side because what Planet Scale was trying to do was to launch a database as a service built on Vitus. So I went to work on the Kubernetes operator to start with. But pretty soon, they needed more than one person to be working on Vitus. Sugu was the only person working on Vitus at that time at PlanetScale. And the engineering team was literally four people. So we had Sugu, we had an engineering lead, and two other people. So they said, okay, the engineering lead needs to focus on the PlanetScale side of things, the database as a service side of things. So you are the next logical <laughs> person to start working on Vitus. <laughs> and that's how I started working on Vitus. Awesome. And that was three and a half years ago now. Wow. It's incredible how, uh, how you can step away from a career for a bit and come back into probably, I can imagine just by your, the jewel you're sharing here as you describe your story, you know, the listeners aren't getting to see your face, but I can see a lot of joy <laughs> in your face as you describe this journey of your own to step away and then come back into, a, you know, not so much a boring big tech job, but something that seems to be startup, exciting, and maybe the opposite of what you thought a startup could be or would do for you. Right. So uh, I think I had definitely been through some not fun times in, in at an earlier point in my career. I had somewhat burnt out a little bit. I was even questioning whether I wanted to be in the tech industry anymore. But working on Vitus, I think, has really brought that joy back. It's given me back the zest of working on something interesting. You're working on hard problems, but it's not hopeless, right? Because there is progress being made on these basic computer science problems on an ongoing basis. So in Vitesse, we are grappling with distributed systems and the theory and practice of distributed systems keeps evolving and we can learn from what other people are doing and maybe we can do something that others can learn from. So to me, that is awesome. Mm -hmm. Something you said before we took the break and this kind of dovetails a bit into more of the journey is this idea of the test being open source, not wanting to write it again in the future. I mean, that, that to me is kind of the core component of open source, right? Like especially something that's born inside of a large organization like YouTube has become. And uh, I could just see like, you know, how how would the world be right now given what PlanetScale is doing and then how it's also supporting Vitesse and its journey through CNCF from incubation to graduation, Sugu's journey personally and the team that's grown up around it. Like that idea to open source, it was like profound because – I don't want to write this thing again somewhere else. I'm going to leave eventually because, you know, that's how things work. Eventually, you're going to go somewhere else and do something else. What about for you? What do you think about the idea of open sourcing the test? Was it just genius to do that? What do you think? I do think it was genius because it happened. Open source is now, I guess, 30 years old. But in 2012, it wasn't as intuitive 
or as much of a default as it is today. Today, uh, engineers working at any company, they would love to open source their work. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that way back then. Most companies kept their work proprietary. There is an additional bit of hassle uh, involved in open sourcing something. I recall way back, uh, this is sort of tangential in a way, but this was 2009. I was at Future of Web Apps in Orlando. I think it was Miami, Florida. And Blaine, I can't remember his last name at the moment. Jared, you may remember. He was CTO, I believe, at the time of Twitter. And Twitter was falling over left and right. And it was based on MySQL. And uh, I can remember, like, he had to leave his talk on stage to go and deal with, like, sh a sharding issue, essentially, because it was just constantly falling down. The fail well was a big meme, all that good stuff. And, like, I just think about, like, Twitter then had, like, Vitesse been a thing and open source, they wouldn't have had to rewrite or do their own thing. That's what I think about. It's like now you got sort of ultra massive scale applications happening because just the state of the internet, the state of the web, the state of applications has just ballooned in terms of adoption, whether it's because of COVID or other things that have happened that made people like sort of like gravitate toward the internet. But, you know, not having to recreate that wheel because it was open source could have saved Twitter in those days. Like if you could have, if Twitter would have been now and that problem would have been now, you know, they would have just used that open source tooling versus like yeah. Blaine leaving the talk to go and shard Twitter's <laughs> database, you know? Right. That's that's so true. And so many of the biggest companies were using MySQL. So Google was using MySQL. They had their own uh, build of MySQL. Facebook still uses MySQL. They still have their own MySQL build. Twitter still uses MySQL. And they continue to do that today, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Google's probably done with MySQL. I don't know. But Twitter, Facebook, Facebook, we know, still is running their own MySQL. Compare that to companies like Square and Slack, who got to the scale where they needed to shard in, say, 2016. Or they were already sharding in a custom way, and it wasn't really uh, scalable, the, the the strategy wasn't scalable, operating the system wasn't scalable. Mm -hmm. And at that point, when they looked around, they were able to say, well, there is this piece of software, which is open source. So if it doesn't quite work for us, we can contribute and make it better. And it's already been proven at YouTube scale. So why not, right? Yeah. And that's, in fact, exactly what happened when companies like Square and Slack adopted Wittes. Vitus was built for YouTube's use case. So there were definitely going to be things that didn't work for them. And they actually started contributing back to the code base for the particular use cases that didn't work. Mm -hmm. And that made, uh, that made things easier for the next adopter who came along. So that we are now at the point where typically people can adopt Vitus without having to contribute anything back to it. If they want to, sure. But the sort of gaps people used to find back in 2015 when the first companies, first non-Google users came along, don't exist anymore. And that's because the various adopters have contributed back to open source and made it better for everyone who comes after them. Mm -hmm. What if you were starting a business today? So Vitesse seems like it unlocks 
operational horizontal scale at the cost of what starts off as complexity, additional moving parts, setup, time investment. And so for many companies, perhaps it is a premature optimization. This is where I'm, I'm asking, I'm not saying, mm-hmm. to start with Vitesse right away. Yeah, I have to agree that starting with Vitesse uh, and trying to run it yourself is definitely a premature optimization. Okay. Anyone who's starting something today is better off choosing uh, whatever is easiest to deploy and manage. And it's not that MySQL was the easiest thing to deploy and manage back when these companies that are huge today were startups 20, 25 years ago, mm-hmm. but it was cheap. And that's why they started with MySQL, right? Yeah. But today people have a lot more options. You don't have to run your own database anymore. And in fact, a lot of startup founders are developers who have grown up with AWS and they instinctively go to RDS. They'll say, I'll just provision an RDS MySQL or an RDS Postgres and use that. Right. And let Amazon deal with the scale. I'll pay pay Amazon to deal with my (laughs) scaling problems, right? Right. So that works sometimes. Sometimes you do the math and it doesn't, you get to a certain scale where that AWS bill is unwieldy and you decide, okay, maybe we could run our own infrastructure or maybe we could take this off AWS and run it better ourselves, cheaper, et cetera. Are there companies doing that? Are there, is like, is Vitesse's, I'm just trying to think of like their, who adopts Vitesse? Is it like the entrenched large super scale companies that have MySQL or are there new MySQL companies that are using it today and you know they just showed up out of nowhere or is the community well set? Most Vitus adopters tend to come to Vitus because they have a scaling problem. Right. So even if you're using RDS, it won't scale beyond a certain point because it's MySQL. It is not sharded MySQL. Right. So uh, that's sort of the path to Vitus for open source adopters of Vitus. Yeah, so you know you need it by the time you need it. You yeah. feel the pain. Mm-hmm. It's probably the leading option in the space. I don't know if there's competitors to Vitesse in terms of other ways of horizontally scaling MySQL. I don't believe there is anyone else or any anything else you can use to horizontally scale MySQL right now. Vitesse is compatible with MySQL alikes like MariaDB and, and such. But how MySQL specific is it? Like, could it be abstracted to all relational databases and you get Postgres users or no? It is actually very MySQL specific because we uh, we are managing MySQL, right? So we are saying, Vitus knows you're always running in a replicated mode. You have a right. primary and you have replicas and Vitus knows which is the primary, what are the replicas and if there is a failure and you're recovering, then you are changing that configuration. You have you now have a different primary. Yeah. So Vitus is managing all of that, which means Vitus is managing replication at the MySQL level. Mm. And we are hooking into that replication to do resharding. And we are providing that illusion of a single database, which means clients talk to us using MySQL protocol, or they can use gRPC, but we masquerade as a single MySQL server. So that SQL grammar and query language support is also MySQL specific. It does not have any non-MySQL constructs in it. Mm -hmm. So it is fairly well tied to MySQL. Mm -hmm. 
Fair enough. Sometimes that's what you do. You just carve out your area of the world and you say, we're going to do it this way and we're going to serve this group of people and it's going to be awesome. And that's just the end of that story. Right. So this is a question that we get asked on the planet scale side as well. Yeah. Are you going to support Postgres? And the answer to that is at some point you will stop caring about the particular SQL dialect and you will choose it as a data store. This is a database. It's not very difficult to learn the particular language that it understands. It's SQL. Right. You just use that. Mm-hmm. Just got to wait it out. <laughs> <laughs> you, you only do that if you're getting something else in return. Yeah. And that something else is ease of use. It has to be easy to use. Easy to deploy, easy to use, easy to run. Yeah, reliable, seamless. Like don't you just don't care anymore because it's always there. It scales for you. It's easy to use, and you just use the language that it provides. Mm-hmm. One thing, Jerry, when you asked about you know would you start using Vitess, and as you know, Sam Lambert was on. Sam is the CEO of of Planetsky. He was on Founders Talk, and he shared a sentiment on that front, which is essentially like if you're going to use Vitess, and as you had said, Deepy, that to not start there. But planet scale is designed to be the beginning. So rather than you know begin a brand new application on the test with the complexity and you know all the simplicity you really want in the early stages of a startup or an idea, and he was saying that begin with planet scale because it is the test as a service plus plus DX UX all that good stuff that that's the starting point. Not to promote that by any means, but that's <laughs> something he had said on the show. And in terms of a starting point, and that's that's by design, and that's. That's it's because of a test being a thing that planet scale exists. So just to, just to put that there, when someone's trying to adopt the test, what does it take to adopt it? What does it take? What's the stack look like? How does the stack change? What is it like to deploy it? How does it run? Is it its own server? Like, what is it like? So uh, there's definitely a hardware cost to it when you start deploying with us. So typically what people will do is they have their MySQL instances already and they'll just put Vitess in front of it and start routing the application queries through Vitess. So obviously you have to run these additional components that Vitess brings in. For every MySQL database that you have, you run a management component called VT Tablet and you run a bunch of proxies which will receive the MySQL queries, connections from clients, and then pass them to the tablets, which will eventually execute those queries on MySQL. So there is a hardware cost associated with it. There is also compatibility. So Vitess is MySQL compatible, but MySQL syntax, query syntax, and constructs keep evolving. So Vitess started, I think, maybe on MySQL 5.5, uh, and we now support almost all the constructs in 5.7, but not everything uh, that is in 8.0, because a lot of new syntax was introduced in 8.0. And where this becomes hard, it's easy if you're unsharded. You sort of just have to understand the syntax and you can pass it through. But in a sharded system, what you end up doing is that you take each query and you have to plan that query. And you have to say, which of the backing MySQL should this query eventually go to? Because it's not going to go to all of them. Mm -hmm. It's going to go to either one of them or a subset of them. In rare cases, 
yes, if you do select star from a sharded table, you have to go to all of them. But usually you want to go to a subset or a single one. And query planning is where we figure this out. So what that means is that any new syntax or construct that MySQL introduces, we have to be able to understand that because maybe it's a function and the function is being applied to the results of multiple rows and you have to know how to implement that function in Vitess in order to still provide that transparency. What's another example? Or it's a join. And if it's going to be a cross-shard join, then you have to do some of the processing in memory after fetching the results from different individual MySQL databases. So all of this is happening in Vitess, which means that to this date, there is a compatibility gap between Vitess and MySQL. And we are trying to close that. So we started the project, the compatibility project formally in... I have to think, I think January of 2020. So it's been two years and we are still working on it. And we have like a sub team at Planet Scale, all of whom are Vitus maintainers who focus on closing this compatibility gap. And the way we did it was we said, okay, we'll take some popular developer frameworks like Ruby on Rails or try to run WordPress on Vitus and look at the queries that are being executed. And especially with frameworks, they execute some preamble queries, some information schema, metadata queries, and so on. And then we start adding support for those things. But to come back to the original question, which is what does that journey of adopting Vitess look like for someone who starts on Vitess, you may find that there are some queries that you are using which don't work with Vitess in a sharded mode. It's much rarer with unsharded, but there was a user on open source who said, oh, I'm using common table expressions. They don't work with Vitus. And I had to say, yeah, they don't work with Vitus because we haven't added support yet. But most of the time uh, it's not unsharded, but sharded that causes the like incompatibilities. So people will take a test environment. They'll have some test data. They'll put Vitus in front of their MySQLs. They will start sending some test traffic through uh, Vitus, and then they'll discover what are the things that don't work. At that point, they have a choice of either contributing a fix upstream to make it work or changing how their application works so that those queries are not produced anymore. Mm. So that's the sort of journey people tend to go through uh, when they come to Vitus. And then once they know that, okay, either all the queries work or we've made the usually not big changes, minor changes needed for the application to work, then you can start moving from test into production. Mm -hmm. How often in these scenarios, whenever someone adopts or attempts to adopt the test, hits this, you know, this lack of compatibility in a sharded mode or something like that, do they often contribute or at least provide some guidance to their specific concerns and how it works to enable that compatibility. Because like if this project has been, you know, a year or more, right? Like if it was early 2020, I'm trying to remember what year this is. 2022. Okay, cool. Because uh, COVID's got my brain still yet. I can't remember years anymore. Okay, so like two years at least, right? This is a long project. So I'd imagine that you've got limited bandwidth, limited core contributors. Maybe we could talk about how open your team is or the team is to more contributors and how that works. But how often does you know, someone come to Vitesse 
and leave bummed out, but then maybe they they find a way to actually contribute back to make that compatibility possible. It's hard to know. Uh, we only know about the big ones, the big companies where they put in a sustained effort because they really had no other option. You're the only game in town when it comes to, you know, scaling MySQL. Right? Yeah, and it's yeah. the sense of yourself, like what else, yeah. what other option do you have? Build it yourself or use Vitesse. So why right. not just build right. features in Vitesse, right? Yeah. So in fact, some people built it themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just don't hear about all of them. I know of one, but there must be many others who built their own custom way of sharding on top of MySQL because they needed to. But if you don't want to build it yourself, then yeah, Vitesse is pretty much the only option unless, I don't know, some people may just migrate out of MySQL at that point. I don't know what people are doing. So I think this sort of contributing back upstream and sticking to it in spite of hitting roadblocks, probably happened a lot more in the early days. The gap is much narrower now in terms of compatibility. So uh, my sense is that it's actually rarer for people to hit those things and then say, oh no, we can't deal with this. The gap is small enough that First of all, we have a list of things that don't work that's in the public repo that anybody can look at. And if somebody says, what are the queries that are not supported, we can just point them to that. So they can upfront scan through them and look at their own application and make some decisions. Beyond that, we are obviously open to contributions. But I think the fact that the people at PlanetScale who do this do it full time versus Someone who's trying to adopt Vitus is either a database infrastructure engineer or some other type of infrastructure engineer. They have to, they have like their day job, right? So we don't see at this point a whole lot of contributions to Vitus in terms of compatibility. Most of it is happening from planet scale. This episode is brought to you by our friends at WorkOS. When it comes to adding enterprise-ready features or selling to enterprise customers, product teams, engineering departments, developers, they're all faced with a choice to ignore and focus on viable features or get distracted and learn how to integrate with complex legacy systems. And I'm here with Michael Greenwich, the founder and CEO of WorkOS, who knows there's a better way. Michael, what do teams at Vercel or PlanetScale know about the world of enterprise features that no one else knows? The world of enterprise features is full of acronyms. Typically, they're like these three or four letter acronyms like SAML, or SKIM, or SEAM. It's like Secure Event Information Event Management. There are these long, kind of like really obscure acronyms that most developers aren't familiar with, they've never really heard of. And this is what IT admins require you to build integrations around. They say, hey, we need SAML, or we have to have a SKIM integration, et cetera. And for companies like, you know, PlanetScale or Vercel that are building on really modern stacks, building with React and like, you know, cutting edge JavaScript technology and like web applications, they're really having to go integrate with these old legacy platforms and systems like SAMLs built around like XML several generations before. And so I think when those companies looked at what to do in this scenario, they have deals that are getting blocked because they don't have something like SAML single sign-on. And their engineering team is like, do we really want to spend all the time to go read the spec and learn how this works? and dive into all the different ways this can break. And in the case of SAML, there's a bunch of instances of security vulnerabilities that have happened over the years. 
do they really want to spend time on that or, or do they want to spend time building, you know, the unique features that power for sell, you know, like focusing on Next.js and focusing on those applications. And for these companies, they, they don't. They don't want to spend the time thinking about SAML. They want to be able to hand it off to someone who can really go deep in that and obsess over it. And so we're sort of like, you know, the, the, the partners to all these companies that goes really, really deep around, you know, these acronyms or obscure technologies, making sure they don't just work really well, but they work everywhere with every single system. And we've tested it end to end. And it even has this kind of compounding effect. The more people using WorkOS, kind of the more stable and more robust it becomes. And what it really does is lets companies like Vercel or PlanetScale or Hopin or Webflow focus on those product features and for their best engineers to spend time still delighting their customers and not necessarily doing these uh, enterprise IT integrations. That's awesome. Thank you, Michael. So even if your team isn't focused on enterprise, you can still leverage WorkOS so you're not turning enterprise away. Learn more. Get started at WorkOS.com. They have a simple pay-as-you-grow pricing plan that scales with your usage and needs. No credit card is required. Again, WorkOS.com. And by our friends at SourceGraph, they recently launched Code Insights. Now you can track what really matters to you and your team in your code base. Transform your code into a queryable database to create customizable visual dashboards in seconds. Here's how engineering teams are using Code Insights. They can track migrations, adoption, and deprecation across the code base. They can detect and track versions of languages or packages. They can ensure the removal of security vulnerabilities like Log4j. You can understand code by team, track code smells and health, and visualize configurations and services. Here's what the engineering manager at Prezi has to say about this new feature. Quote, as we've grown, so has a need to better track and communicate our progress and our goals across the engineering team and the broader company. With Code Insights, our data and migration tracking is accurate across our entire code base, and our engineers and our managers can shift out of manual spreadsheets and spend more time working on code. End quote. The next step is to see how other teams are using this awesome feature. Head to about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. This link will be in the show notes again, about.sourcegraph.com slash code dash insights. I'm not sure if you have read or know about Nadia Ekbal's Working in Public book, but in this book, after she's done lots of research, she categorizes four types of open source projects according to kind of two strata. You have user growth and contributor growth. And if a project is high user growth, but low contributor growth, she calls that a stadium. A project where like there's a rock star on stage and there's a whole bunch of people in the crowd and they're they're looking at the rock star you know waiting for that person to do their rock star thing and then if it's uh high user growth but high contributor growth she calls that a federation so like the rust foundation or these kind of things if there's low user growth like like something that you just built for yourself it's low con- user growth low contributor growth so like not very many people use it but also not very many people find it useful she calls those toys so maybe you have your own dot files, you have a, a command line app that you use just for yourself, scripts, et cetera. And then there's a fourth group, which is low user growth, but high contributor growth. And she calls those clubs. So they're never going to be that big, but like the people who get involved tend to be contributors. Like if you're using it, you're probably contributing. She calls those clubs. 
And I've been trying to think about Vitesse in light of one of those four categorizations. It kind of seems like a club because you have probably not that many users because your users are kind of de facto scaled organizations, which there aren't that many of those in the world. But then when I look at the contributors, it seems like mostly it's planet scale. And so it's kind of a stadium in that sense. It's kind of a club. I'm just curious what kind of project you think it is. Maybe there's been large contributions by the folks at Slack, by other users around. But just curious, like, how many of the users are also contributing and how that all breaks out and how it feels as a community? So given that uh, we are a CNCF project, CNCF actually tracks these statistics and we have some numbers. Oh, great. So... In terms of users, it's actually very difficult for us to know whether someone is running Vitus in production. Right. Because they don't have to share that information. Unless they come out and tell you they're doing it. Right. So it's completely voluntary. Some people will talk about it. They will go to conferences and talk about it. They will actually add their logo to the Vitus homepage. And others will never talk about it. So uh, we do know of companies where people have told us in confidence that they're using Vitus, but they will never be public about it. They'll never tell anybody. Yeah. So if if I look at our Slack workspace, we have 2000 plus people on there. They are not all active on an ongoing basis, but it's a decent sized community. It's not tiny. Mm-hmm. I think earlier on, Vitus was where the user growth and contributor growth was similar. Mm -hmm. Every new user ended up contributing. And there were very significant contributions from Flipkart, from uh, Slack, from Square. But I think now it is at a point where there are more users than contributors. Most users who come in and try to use Vitus don't actually need to contribute. Mm. And also because there is planet scale and the Initial revenue stream for PlanetScale was doing support for people doing their own Vitus deployments. So for uh, companies that were trying to run Vitus on their own but wanted some help, PlanetScale would do that. So at that point, they would funnel any bug fixes or features they needed through PlanetScale. So to the outside world, it looks like PlanetScale is making this contribution, but it's motivated by the needs of a particular user. So I think we have evolved to a point where PlanetScale is the main contributor and maintainer to Vitus. We still get contributions from other maintainers. We still get contributions from like random people, people that I don't know. But it's it's definitely now, I think, more of the stadium type of project. Yeah. Um, there are, I think, other reasons too, besides the one I talked about, which is Planet Scale was supporting people who wanted to do this. So then that just became the easiest way for them to get stuff done in Vitus versus contributing it themselves, right? Mm-hmm. I think the other reason also is that initially when I started working on Vitus, there were only two people at Planet Scale working on Vitus. So obviously we couldn't do everything that open source users needed and people had to contribute. So Slack, for instance, contributed many significant things, which they found because of the way they were trying to run Vitus. They didn't expect Sugu and me to do all of those things because it was physically impossible to do so. But the maintainer team at PlanetScale has grown to the point where 
we can do the bulk of things that are flowing either from users of planet scale databases or open source users mm. so it just seems easier sometimes for people to say oh here is a bug and maybe somebody will jump in and say i know how to fix it it'll take me yeah. uh, 10 minutes i'll do it right it's interesting because the motivation from planet scale side obviously is its core to planet scale like right. sure. as a as a commercial open source company to to have the expertise and then to fix and improve the tests so it's natural yeah although at some point everyone is benefiting those users that are non planet scale companies are benefiting from their contribution back to the tests and they may not be planet scale customers so it could be waste or I don't know, maybe it, maybe it works out in the end. Maybe that's just how open source works is like you just trust, you know, the contribution, the I don't know how to describe it, but like you just trust the give back, the the generosity so to speak. So, uh there are different open source governance models. I was reading an article written by the founder of Drupal about this. How in any open source project there are givers and takers. and if that balance goes out of whack if there are uh, community members that are mostly takers and they are not enough givers then eventually the project may not survive long term so those are things that all <laughs> open source maintainers have to think about so for vitus right now planet scale is backing it so the number of givers in terms of individuals is high but in terms of corporate entities is pretty low yeah it's pretty low is that something that uh and i don't know how you separate yourself because you work for planet scale but you also are a core contributor to the test and i want to get into some of your particular contributions because you've you're quite a subject matter expert and i want to know more about your actual contributions beyond your wealth of knowledge of its story and how beautiful you've told it but i got to imagine that there's some desire there so how do you personally separate your your psychological balance between I work for Planet Scale but I also am pro Vitesse and I'm core contributor there how do you want to see the balance change and shift like if there's listeners out there at Netflix and they use it or at XYZ and they adopt Vitesse how do you want corporate contributions back to balance out the Planet Scale give and and backing of it so if i think back to how i got more and more involved in Vitesse as a planet scale employee right so i started off with okay there's some bugs that need to be fixed let's fix them there are some features that planet scale support customers want let's add those features and slowly because of my own desire to learn more about witness i started spending a lot of time in the open source slack where people ask questions and i would look up the answers to those questions basically if somebody asks a question i don't know the answer to it right so i'll go and run vitess myself in my local environment try it out and understand how it works and then trace it back to the code and then at that point i'll be able to answer that question or i may just search through the slack messages to find the answer so i had to build my competence in vitess at the code level but i also had to build my competence in vitess as a user from the user perspective and when you do that you actually uh, develop empathy for people who are trying to use the software because you're not just looking at it as the writer of the software but as 
someone who has to use it and you start empathizing with how hard it can be sometimes. Uh, so that's that to me is what drives the balance. Vitus is open source, which implies a certain contract between the project and its users. And the project is embodied by the maintainer team. And I'm part of that maintainer team. I'm just fortunate that PlanetScale pays me a salary so that I can do this full time. Most people don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. So uh, like you said, I have to balance what I owe PlanetScale because they are paying me a salary versus mm-hmm. this more idealistic nature of open source software where you're altruistically giving without expecting anything in return. Yeah, precisely. So uh, that is a difficult balance. The best thing, though, is that everything we do in Vitus for Planet Scale is usable by anyone. It goes upstream. So for Planet Scale, to start with, we started the compatibility project. And we worked on adding constructs, adding syntax, and so on and so forth for a year. And we did some very basic testing with various frameworks. Ruby on Rails, okay, it works. Can you deploy WordPress? It works. Django, it works, and so on. But we had to, for planet scale, we had to actually make sure that anything you did in Ruby on Rails would work because the planet scale app is built using Ruby on Rails. And planet scale uses planet scale or <laughs> Vitus as its own data store. Sure. So planet scale runs on planet scale. Mm-hmm. So we did a three-month, one-quarter project where we went through and looked at all the Ruby on Rails guides and proved that all of those constructs that you can use in Ruby on Rails, the active record guides, will actually work against Vitus. Now, we did that for planet scale, but it benefits anybody who tries to write a Ruby on Rails app against Vitus or tries to write a Ruby on Rails app against planet scale. Mm. So that's just one example of something we did because we wanted it for planet scale. And some of this work was done by a lot of the testing was done by non-core Vitus maintainers, but the bug fixes were done by the Vitus maintainers. So I'm a bit torn because it seems like Vitesse is in good hands, but then I also see all these other corporations who are using it. And I think like, shouldn't they also be pitching in? Is there, there's a foundation, I guess it's part of CNCF where it's graduated. Maybe tell everybody what that means for Vitesse having graduated from CNCF and maybe I guess some of the financial side of the open source commons here. So Vitesse, when it joined CNCF in, I think early 2018, process probably started in 2017, but it was January 2018 that Vitus became a part of CNCF as an incubating project. And then graduation was in 2019. So CNCF has certain criteria for graduation. And one of them is that the project has to be supported by multiple entities so that it doesn't just disappear if one of those corporate entities disappears. Mm. And when they had that, the meeting or the review, Michael Demmer from Slack was in that meeting to say that uh, even if planet scale goes away, Vitus is so uh, important, so foundational for Slack at this point that we will maintain it. So because Vitus is running in production at some of these huge companies, 
and it is storing their business data, right? Slack, Square, mm-hmm. uh, HubSpot. Right now, it's PlanetScale is doing most of the maintenance, and that's fine. But if PlanetScale were to go away, other people would have to step in. They would not have a choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the criteria, I'm not going to read them all, but one of the criteria for the graduation stage for a CNCF project the very first line is have committers from at least two organizations and a few other things essentially for this due diligence, like you had said, to balance the the need for the technology and also the support of the technology. And I assume that all maintainers are not employed by PlanetScale given that graduation stage, right? So Yeah, yeah. So about 50% of the maintainers are now PlanetScale employees. And a lot of it is because... PlanetScale staffed up the Vitess team and over time, uh, people just commit so much when they're doing it full time that they end up becoming maintainers. Their contributions reach a level where you can give them right permissions. They know some part of the code well enough to review other people's work and to make decisions on how that should evolve in the future and things like that. So that's sort of why about 50% of the maintainer team is now from planet scale, but we do have maintainers from Slack, from Square, uh, HubSpot, a few other companies. So there are about 10 people who are not planet scale employees. Mm-hmm. Also on the list of users, Pinterest, yes. GitHub, New Relic. These are companies that are not going to allow it to disappear. Maybe they're not maintaining today, but like you said, if planet scale scaled back its maintenance quite a bit, somebody would step up. Right. If it weren't. Slack, it's going to be Square. If it's not Square, it's going to be Pinterest and so on. There's just too much vested interest in the project for it to be abandoned at this phase. Exactly. Yeah. In terms of support from the foundation, they pay for our GitHub repositories. So they provide, obviously, the the project itself has no money. Any uh, budget that, anything that requires spending either comes from PlanetScale or from uh, the foundation. So GitHub repositories... Docker, we have a Docker team plan. They've given us uh, Equinix Metal hardware on which we run daily benchmarks and we publish those benchmarks on a separate website, benchmark.vitus.io. So that's continuously updated and these benchmarks are running all the time. We needed some dedicated uh, servers for running some portion of our CI and the foundation gave that to us. So they do provide a lot of support in terms of whatever the project needs to keep going. Mm. Since you mentioned contributions, I, I got to hear more. Can you boast a bit? Can you share some of <laughs> okay. like your contributions in particular? Okay. So a few things stand out. Vitus has backup restore functionality. For any database, you need that. And specifically in the case of Vitus, if you want to add more replicas, you will restore from a backup and then catch up to the current primary and then you are ready to serve. Uh, So Vitus had its own way of doing backups, which was basically shut down the MySQL, copy everything over and then restart it. A number of members of the community wanted extra backup support. So they wanted to be able to use extra backup to take backups so that they don't have to bring down the MySQL because with extra backup, you can take backups on a running instance. So that was my first major enhancement to Vitus. And that's why I I remember it uh, so clearly. And this was actually sponsored by Slack, but I ended up being the person doing the work. 
And then once we did that, we also did a feature where you could do point in time recovery. Uh, so let's say somebody did something bad, lost some data, you want to go back to a good known time. You want to be able to go backwards in time. Most of the time, this is for the purposes of forensics. You want to go back and say, okay, what happened? What was the state of the data at the time or whatever? But point in time recovery was uh, something else where uh, I didn't do all of the work, but I, myself and another engineer together did that. And then health check. So in Vitesse, there is a component called health check. So what you're doing is that if you look at the Vitesse architecture, there's a metadata store, a topo server, which stores the list of all the tablets. But you don't rely on that when you are serving queries. So you have the proxy layer called VTGate, which receives the MySQL connections and queries and sends them to the tablets. But it needs to know what is the primary for a given shard. And the way it keeps track of that is that it establishes connections to all the tablets and it receives periodic health checks. So this health check code was actually very complex and we would get bug reports and they were very obscure, very hard to track down. They would only happen under certain conditions because mostly there were race conditions or issues with locking and stuff like that. So I ended up rewriting all of that. And that is one of the hardest software projects I've done in my life because that code was very complex. It was almost impossible to understand what it was doing at a code level. So Sugu sat down and he told me what it should do. He said, don't think about what the code looks like right now. Mm. I'll tell you what it should do. And then you can implement that. <laughs> it was so difficult that parts of it were done by three people together. So we, we, we would get onto a Zoom call or some sort of a video call and screen share and start looking at the code together and start writing code together. So the health check rewrite was a, was a big deal. And what that enabled us to do was to support replica transactions. Prior to rewriting the health check, we did not have a way to do read-only transactions on replicas. You could do read transactions on the primary, but there were uh, some users who said, we, we basically want a snapshot when we begin the transaction. We don't want to see the commits that happen while we are reading data. So we really want to do a begin, read, 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 and end. So replica transactions was something that uh, we were able to do because we rewrote the health checks. So these are some things that I can remember. Mm. It's a big deal stuff there. Deep T, congrats. Coming back from a year hiatus, back into the swing of things and kicking butt, if I can tell. Let's talk about the future then. So I know on the blog you had mentioned, or at least Florin had mentioned in back last month, the announcement of general availability of Vitesse 13. So what's in that? What's in the future? What's what's the future of Vitesse? Is it separated from Planet Scale's roadmap? How do you map out Vitesse's? Obviously, there's a lot of users, so... There's some user demand as well, and it's not all planet scale demand or support demand back into Vitesse, but give a snapshot of 13 and maybe into the future. I think in 13, we, so we keep working on compatibility. And one of the things our query serving team realized at some point was that they needed to rewrite how the query planning was being done. Query planning uh, was being done in a particular way at the code level. 
and they sort of had to tear the whole thing up apart and put it back together but that would have been very risky so what they did instead was that they wrote a new version of the query planner while keeping the old one and when the new version reached parity with the old one we were able to say okay now the new planner is ga and it supports constructs that the old one simply could not it was too complex at a code level to add support to certain things in the old planner so uh, the new query planner is ga and because we spent like a couple of releases building that up so first you have to reach parity then you can start doing new stuff so in this release we were able to add support to a number of constructs that didn't work earlier because towards the end of the previous release we actually completed the work of bringing it up to parity so that's a big thing and then the online schema changes a lot of improvements have been done to the online schema changes over time and a number of them happened in the last release and there will still be a few uh, going forward but that is getting quite stable now so looking ahead to the next release the big things that we want to go into ga in the next release are the vitess native online schema changes which are still marked experimental we started actually i don't know if i should say we the maintainers from slack started building a replacement ui for what we had so vitess has like a very primitive management ui which was written back in 2012 or something like that it looks very ugly <laughs> uh, it's still using some old versions of angular js which you can't upgrade from and so on and so forth So the team at Slack actually started building a UI for their own internal Slack internal usage and at some point they were able to open source it. So they were able to get their management to agree to open source it and then they talked to uh, myself and a few others who were uh, in the maintainer team about how they can go about doing that. So this new generation UI called VT admin with us admin UI is expected to go ga in the next release and they've been working on it for almost 2 years now so it's been a long process but i'm actually looking forward to that because when i do demos it's like yeah. how can i show this like really old and ugly <laughs> ui right but i don't have a choice <laughs> right that's exciting the other thing that was sort of a missing piece in vitess for a long time was automatic failure detection so we didn't talk about kubernetes but if you are running vitess in kubernetes and a vitess component goes down kubernetes will bring it back up but what if a mysql instance goes down right kubernetes will bring it back up but it will take time and maybe people are running it with systemd or system ctl or so- something else that can bring it back up but when a mysql goes down to bring it back up takes time and that time could range from 30 seconds to several minutes and for most production systems that's too long so what we really need to do is for vitess to monitor these and to do an automatic failover when a mysql instance goes down and for the longest time vitess didn't do that itself there was another open source project called orchestrator which people would integrate with to get this ability because vitess might be running in kubernetes outside kubernetes you can run it in many different ways but what we've started doing and this is again a project that started in 2020 i want to say 
so it's been in the works for over a year was to take what orchestrator does it's open source right we can copy it in and change it the way we want to mm-hmm. so we took what orchestrator does brought in some of the code rewrote some of the code to do it the vitess way so that within vitess there is a component that is watching all the mysql databases and if the primary goes down the failover is automatic it doesn't have to be human intervention so that self healing mode or autopilot is where we want vitess to go more and more as we look out beyond this year and look into the future for the next 2 to 5 years mm. self healing autopilot usability these are things that we want to worry about for the community mm. some of these are relevant for planet scale but usability is not a big issue for planet scale because planet scale has its own ux right it is really a back end component as far as planet scale is concerned pt admin ui maybe maybe not mm. so it's a mix of what is driven by planet scale and what is driven just as project vision or driven by the community i guess one more question on the release schedule is there since you mentioned 13 and the next release what is the schedule is there a schedule is it monthly is it is the next version 14 is it 135 is it how do you version how do you release what's the schedule there is a release schedule the next version is 14 So a couple of years ago one of our maintainers wrote this up as a vitess enhancement proposal. So we have a repo called enhancements. So this is modeled after Python, Kubernetes, everybody does this now. If you want to do some fundamental change, you write it up as an enhancement proposal. So there is a published release cadence. We used to do four releases a year, so every quarter effectively. and starting this year we are going to do three releases a year and the releases come with certain guarantees that the open source maintainer team will maintain a release for a year after the release date and maintaining means that any uh, major vulnerabilities will be patched if there is a critical bug that can lead to data loss or system downtime that will be fixed and we will do patch releases if necessary we don't typically do more than one or two patch releases for a major release but we do end up doing a couple of patch releases for each major release gotcha anything we didn't ask you deep deep anything that we left on the table that we just ah, we didn't get a chance to ask you in closing we didn't talk about kubernetes so i guess two things so one is vitess has been cloud native since 2015 you have been able to run vitess in kubernetes since 2015 and that that is a non trivial thing because like i said you can't just kill a mysql pod and restart it on another node and expect it to work because it needs its storage right right yeah so that's one thing i think the other thing is that the reason vitess or planet scale or anything like this is relevant and will continue to be relevant is that if i look at the database market uh, there are some trends right one of them is the move to cloud everybody wants to run everything in the cloud they no longer want to deal with their own data centers that is a clear trend and with cloud comes kubernetes so there is a data on kubernetes community they do surveys and more and more companies are getting comfortable with putting their data into kubernetes so the combination of this means that people are going to go to managed services 
So Vitus is a project that people have traditionally run on their own, but I expect that most people will actually prefer to either run Vitus on some sort of a uh, Kubernetes service like from Amazon or Google or whoever, or to pay someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, why well, run it yourself and you can have somebody else run it for you, right? You just stick to your actual guns, so to speak, and build your own product instead of like supporting infra or yeah. why? Unless you absolutely had to, really, you know, unless you had a specific use case for doing so yeah. and the team. So the, this is the trend towards specialization that we have seen already with hardware, right? People used to run their own servers uh, for everything. And now most of that happens in the cloud because it's just easier to pay Amazon or Google to run your servers for you, except under certain conditions. Hmm. Well, Deepthi, it's been a great journey with you, uh, learning about Vitesse, yourself, Sugu, all of the corporate community involved in in Vitesse, of course, and all the maintainers involved. I'm excited for what the future is for it. We don't personally use MySQL, which is why Jared had the question of Postgres, because we're <laughs> we're kind of a Postgres family around here. Although right. we're not haters, no. we just have preferences. That's right. So, but uh, appreciate you sharing the journey, your journey. Appreciate your time. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I... Uh, Always love talking about Vitus, and I, in particular, enjoyed the direction in which you took the conversation. So thank you. Awesome. Good deal. Thank you. Your enthusiasm is infectious. Yes, very much so. That's it. This show's done. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't yet subscribed, now is the time. Head to changelog.fm for all the ways to subscribe. And if you dig this show, we have other pods you may enjoy as well, such as Ship It. We recently had Kelsey Hightower on where he drops a ton of wisdom. Here's a sampler. My entire career, my rule has always been document the manual process first. Always. Okay. Because if you go and do everything in Puppet, now I got to read Puppet code to see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. How can I suggest anything better? So if you write it down manually and you say, first get a VM, install changelog, then take this load balancer, put this certificate here, then get this credential, put it in this file, then connect to Postgres this version with these extensions. So now I can see the entire thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I do is say, okay, now that we understand all the things that we're required to run this app, I want to see the manual steps that you're doing, all of them. We build the app using this make file. We create a binary. We take the binary and we put it where? You're not storing the binaries anywhere? Oh no, we're just making this assumption that we could just push the binary to the target environment. You need to fix that, that's a bad assumption. Mm -hmm. You need to take the binary and preserve it so that way we can troubleshoot later in different environments Mm-hmm. And we can use it to propagate. Oh, okay, Kelsey, good idea. So we're just going to fix the manual process until it looks the best we can do for what we know at the time. Right. Now, once we have that, I'm going to give that process a version. This is 1.0 of everything. We've cleaned some things up. We saw some bad security practices. We've cleaned up the app. So now go automate that. All right, continue listening to that conversation at changelaw.com slash ship it slash 44. That's episode 44. Thanks once again to our friends and partners at Fastly for making all our assets and our pods super fast globally. Check them out at fastly.com. 
and also to Break Master Cylinder for keeping our beats fresh and friendly. And of course, to you for listening, we appreciate you. And don't forget that bonus 12 minutes for our plus plus subscribers. Make sure you stick around. That's it for this show. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next week.